Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We've been on a teaching series. We've been on a journey of weeks later. We've been talking about stepping, taking the next step in our journey with God, in our journey of faith, in our walk of fruitfulness and effectiveness in the kingdom of God. You see, our faith has to find expression. Amen? What we believe and who we truly are will naturally, naturally determine how we live and what we do. We spoke about that last week. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of your life. And today what I want to talk to you about really is just sim simply the subject I've entitled it, Stepping into Greater Purpose. And it sounds very grand, and it's great. We all want to step into a greater sense of purpose and awareness of calling and destiny on our lives. And often when we preach these kinds of things or we hear these kinds of messages, they sound sort of all big and out there. But today what I want to bring home to your heart is just the simplicity of how simple it is to live out our faith with great purpose in the place it is that God has put us. And as we begin to do so, we grow in faith, we grow in grace, we grow in wisdom, and we grow in fruitfulness to, to, towards God. Many years ago, Siobhan will help me out with the dates, there was a bunch of guys that created something called the Westminster Confession. Catechism. Sorry? Catechism. Yes. Catechism. And they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the purpose of it all? Why are we here? And they decided, after studying the Word, after much consultation, that the chief end of man was to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. You and I were created to bring glory to God. Why? Because we are created in His image to reflect His glory into this world and to enjoy Him forever. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, believers, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, doesn't matter what you're doing, do everything to the glory of God. In other words, live your life in such a way that everything you are doing ministers God's glory, ministers His love, shines the grace of who He is. Isn't it wonderful to be able to eat and drink to the glory of God? We often think fasting is to the glory of God, and it is. But you know, God is involved and cares about your family life when you're sitting around that dinner table and the way that you treat each other. He's, he's concerned about your workplace. He's concerned about every little fa aspect and, and facet of your life. And the way that we bring glory to God is by becoming and living out who God has created us to be. You see, every one of us have been caught up in Jesus. And Paul again and again encourages us to pursue Christ-likeness, to become more like Christ. But that does not mean that we lose our identity in the process. It means that we give ourselves more and more to the nature of His love. That's what it means to become more and more like Christ. His love which is self-sacrificial. His love which is devoted and unrelenting and passionate. The way we give glory to God who He made you and I to be is by living authentic lives in and through the love and nature of Jesus Christ, out of the overflow of our relationship with Him. And that word authentic or authenticity is an important word. It means that every one of us is unique. 
we can look around the room and say that every one of us is unique. Every one of us is authentic. The word authentic means two things. It means, number one, genuine, the real thing. You want authentic money in your wallet. You do not want copies. You do not want counterfeit. It is real. It is authentic. It is genuine. The other thing that the word authentic means is not a copy. Not a copy. In other words, you have a divine call. You have been created with a divine set of gifts, a personality, specifically by God. You're not called to be somebody else or to do somebody else's work. God has a unique call and gifting reserved, especially for you, a unique one. And those who are blessed and those who are happy and find joy in this life are those who have discovered their unique call and destiny in Christ and find joy in living out the grace that He has given them in the place that He has put them every single day. They are satisfied, they are fulfilled because they know who God has made them to be. And they find the effectiveness of living that out every single day. When Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, I'll read from the book of John, he, make, he made them a promise. He said to them one day, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, which had not been given yet, because he had not yet been to the cross, died, and risen again. But he makes a promise that there will come a time where something will be deposited in you which will cause rivers of living water to flow out of you. Say rivers. A river is not a trickle. It's not a stream. It's not a little flow. A river is something that carries with it force. It has the ability to move. There is something that Jesus has deposited in you with the purpose of moving you. A river has a current. A little while ago, my family and I went camping. We went camping just on the banks of the Bria River. We had some adventures. I apparently went swimming with snakes without even realizing it. But if you swam out to the middle of the river and you just stayed there for a while, you would find that slowly sometimes imperceivably, you're being moved. And where the shore was over there that you came out from, if you're not paying attention, all of a sudden you moved. You're down. You're downriver. You're downstream. I remember when I was a child, I had a friend who had a holiday place right on the mouth of the Olifants River. And we would swim across the river. But we knew that depending on what the tide was doing, if I entered the stream here, we'd come out over there. Or vice versa. We had to be very careful that we didn't climb in the river and get taken out to sea in what they call a rip current. So Jesus is talking about a river that he is wanting, that, 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 that by the power of the Spirit will rise up within us, and as we get caught up in that flow, it will take us somewhere. It will move us. You know what it is to be moved. My question is, what do these rivers look like? You see, your river and my river, they converge from time to time, but they are different and they are unique. What moves you is unique to you. And as people, we generally gravitate towards those who are moved by the same thing. Birds of a feather flock together. 
You and I are all here together this morning because our hearts have been touched and we've been moved by the love and the person of Jesus Christ. But in our expression of that overflow, every one of us expresses our worship and our personality and our gifts in a very unique and genuine way. There is something distinctive about the flow that comes out of you. And I want you to realize that this morning. You were not designed or created to be a copy or like anybody else. You will have similarities to other people, but there is something very unique and specific about the flow of God that comes out of your heart and out of your life through your perspective, through your understanding, and through your experience that nobody else has and nobody else can copy. You see, when you realize that, suddenly you understand that you are built for purpose on purpose. There is a unique gifting that God desires to bless this family with, your family with, your workplace with, because of you, because He put you there. And every time that you give yourself for the benefit of somebody else, in sacrificial love, that flow begins to be released. That flow begins to find expression. Now, this can happen in, in many different ways. You can share the flow of the grace of God in your life, that overflow through sacrificial love, in giving of your time. It can be in the giving of your money or your resources, the giving of your expertise. I am very grateful for the flow of my hairdresser. She has expertise I do not, and she uses it, you may say, to mixed effect, but she does a better job than Craig's does. <laughs> it may be in the area of encouragement. There are some people that when you come into their presence, after you've been with them for a while, you always leave feeling better. You always just leave feeling uplifted and encouraged. My sister is a person like that, and Helen often tells me, I only married you for your sister. That flow could come out of you in prayer, where you see the needs of others and you are willing to take those needs before the very presence of God and to pray them through and to seek and to intercede in the presence of God. It can be in the form of hospitality, different gift or different grace entirely. Some people are just naturally hospitable. Jesus, towards the end of his life, even before his crucifixion, said this in John 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. It's a powerful scripture, and there's a few things I want to highlight. There is a work that God has given you to do. A specific work. And we often think the purpose of Jesus was to go to the cross. That was a part of his purpose. Yes, a part of the redemptive plan. But even before that, he says, I have, I have glorified you by finishing the work you have given me to do. I have accurately represented you to these disciples. They have now seen you. I, that is the work God has given you to do, to glorify him. But Jesus also said this beautiful thing, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work. You see, the work that you and I have been given to do is first and foremost to glorify God to glorify God. The chief end of man is to glorify God. The catch and the problem that we sometimes have is that we understand glorifying God to look like something. Very often, glorifying God is, is something that is projected onto us in that it needs to look like this. 
It needs to feel this way. You glorify God by singing songs, by going to church, by preaching, by winning souls. Now, can you glorify God by doing all of those things? Yes, of course. But is it limited to doing all of those things? Certainly not. Not every one of us is gifted to preach or called to preach. Not all of us are gifted to sing. And we are very glad of those who know what their gift isn't. But I want to say that God has wired and gifted you and I to bring glory to Him in a unique way. You see, this whole journey of taking next steps, it is about the realization of God, who, what, what have you made me? What have you put within me? Who have you made me to be? And how can I give you glory as an individual, as a family, as a church? Because nobody else can glorify God the way you can. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, Paul says this, For by the grace given to me, so there's a grace, an ability, a divine enablement given to me. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to be sober in judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is he really saying here? He says, don't get puffed up because your gift is public or because your gifting looks like something. There are those who have a gift that is prominent. It's in the form front. Somebody like me with a big mouth. But that doesn't make my gift any more effective than somebody who is quiet in the background but is praying or is serving faithfully and diligently with the gifts that God has given him. He says, don't be puffed up. Don't think your, your faith is greater or less than anybody else's. But think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He goes on to say, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. My kidneys are not particularly gifted at seeing. They have a completely different function. My ears are no good at walking. Have you ever heard of you fell on his ear? Why? Because your ears are not very good at walking. Every part of your body has a specific function that is unique to that part of the body. When any part is not functioning properly, the whole body feels it and suffers. And the body of Christ is the same. That's the point that Paul is making here. Don't try to be a kidney if you're a liver. Don't try to be an appendix, appendix if you're a spleen. Don't try to be a toenail if you're a nose. Just be who God made you to be. Be the best little spleen you can. He goes on to say, Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And this is really what I'm wanting to focus on this morning. We laugh and we joke about the different functions. But I want to say to you, as I look across this family, as we were praising and worshiping this morning, God said to me, and I want to speak this prophetically, He is birthing visions and dreams out of the hearts of this spiritual family that will blow our minds and that are way beyond what we can ask, think, or imagine in this time and season. God is birthing visions and dreams. And those will begin to come to fruition and will begin to be realized in our minds and in our experience once we step out and express and use the gifts that God has given us to do. God may call you. God may have equipped and graced you. But until you and I step into that calling and that grace, the flow, we have to get into the flow. 
to go, if that makes sense. And so there are gifts that God has placed in you and in me that may well have been lying dormant for many, many years. Maybe we felt we're not good enough, we're not the right person. There's a new term that's out these days, it's called imposter syndrome. It's like I'm doing something, but I don't feel like I belong. I feel like everyone's judging me. I don't feel like I'm worthy to be doing this. There's no imposters in the kingdom of God. You're either in or you're out. Don't let anybody think of himself more highly than he ought to, or let anybody think of himself more lowly than he ought to. That's the, that's, that's the definition of pure humility, to think of yourself accurately according to the identity you have in Christ Jesus. And so Paul here is writing to the church, and he says, having gifts differing, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to your faith. And if service, in serving. The one who teaches, let him teach. To the one who exhorts or encourages, in his exhortation. To the one who contributes, to give, generous, to, to give generously. To the one who leads with zeal. To the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, whatever it is that you know to do, that, that moves your heart, that takes you beyond yourself and enables you to express love, care, affection, encouragement to somebody else, whether that be in your family, to somebody in your workplace, to somebody on the street, do that. To the cashier in the counter, to the car guard when you meet him, find out what his name is, put a smile on his face. Put some money in his hand. Make him feel good about what he's doing because God looks at him and he sees him and he loves him as a person of value just as much as you. Not all spiritual gifts are super spiritual. Some spiritual gifts are very practical. Some spiritual gifts are people given to provide and care and love. I want to read you a story a short story, a short testimony this morning about somebody called Sharon. This is by Scott Mann. I'm going to put a picture on the screen for you. And this is Sharon. This is Sharon, my mother-in-law. Not mine, the Scots. She taught me it's important to work to see someone for who they are and not what you expect. When I first met my mother-in-law, I had a hard time understanding her thick South Virginia accent. And she seemed a little bossy in that southern, passive-aggressive, polite way. But I knew she was important to the love of my life, so I accepted her grudgingly, as some of us do when family are forced on us. After five years, I still didn't really know her. When my wife got leukemia at 30... When our world was shattered and changed forever, Sharon very quietly and very firmly stepped into the role she was born for. She moved with her dependent Vietnam vet husband into our house and became Michelle's caretaker too. Over the last two years, she bought most of the groceries, cooked almost every meal, did most of the laundry and cleaning drove both dependents to almost every one of the 300-plus doctor's appointments, sorted tens of thousands of pills, and made sure they were all taken on time at every hour, every day. And she did this when she herself was diagnosed with cancer six months ago, when she was getting a mastectomy, when she is going through chemo. She sums 
She, sorry, she hums when she works. She talks to herself when there's no one to listen to. And she goes about every day with humility and grace. I took this photo before I left for work this morning. She didn't know I was there. This, friends, is what greatness looks like in a quiet moment, waiting on oatmeal to cook for her daughter for the 300th time since she got sick. Not everyone gets to have a real-world superhero in their lives. And for this, I am filled with gratitude every day. You see, folks, sometimes that's what grace looks like. That's what love looks like. That's what a spiritual gift looks like. It brings a whole new perspective to the understanding of what Paul was trying to communicate in Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Maybe that difficult situation that you are facing, that your family is facing, is the very good work that God has prepared for you beforehand that you can walk in it and walk through it and be grace and strength and love in the midst of that situation. Have you noticed how emotional Pastor Andreas gets when he talks about the prayers and the support for those who have walked with him and encouraged him and prayed for him during the journey and the struggle that he has been in over the past few months. These are deep waters. These are mighty things that impact and shift lives by the grace and the hand of God himself. Maybe your gift is to be a God-given servant to one person. Maybe it's to, small, to serve a small group. Maybe it's to serve a large group. What's important to understand is that no act of sincere love, whether great or small, whether to one or to many, is insignificant in the eyes of God. God sees it all. And God sees our hearts in the midst of it all. One of Mother Teresa's most famous quotes, not all of us can do great things, but all of us can do small things with great love. Isn't that so true? Within you, dearly loved and blessed believer, abides the love and the presence and the grace of Jesus Christ. Within a gift set, within a skill set that is unique to you, that the world around you is crying out for. You see, Jesus understood what his calling and his purpose was. And so without any arrogance, he said, God so loved the world that he gave it his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, because he knew who he was and what he was called to do. Dear friends, God so loved your family, God so loved your workplace, your school, your university, that he gave it you. And that as you live out the grace that God has placed within you, your gifts, you begin to shine His light into those situations so that hearts are touched by the flow of God that flows out from you. So the past few weeks we've had a time of fasting. 
We concluded today. Today is 21 days. We've been talking about steps. We've been saying it's a good time to seek the Lord, to fast, to pray, to set ourselves aside. Well, let me ask you a question. During your time of fasting and prayer over the last couple of weeks, however you decided to do it, did you get what you needed? Maybe more time is required. Maybe the pursuit is just beginning. Maybe this was just the catalyst and not the end in itself. Let me ask you another question. During your time of fasting and seeking over the past few weeks, did God get what He needed? Isn't that really what fasting is all about? We go into it saying, Lord, this is what I need from you. But at the end of the day, it's what God needs. It's the realizations that we need to have so that we can enter into a greater dimension of who and what He has called us to be that we may bring glory to His wonderful and worthy name. Do you know what His plan is for you? (laughs) I want to say it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to have a grand vision. It will be simply to enjoy and to share His love with the gifts and the talents that He has given you to those He comes into contact with every single day. Paul encouraging his spiritual son Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verses 5 to 8 says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Dearly beloved, we're in a time and a season where God is fanning, fanning the flame of our heart, fanning that gift. And He's saying to you, you, as a believer, fan that flame. Fan your heart. Give it the diligence that it needs so that through you, grace may be released to those around you. Stir up that gift. How? By using it. By being in the presence of God. Whatever that may look like or how that works best for you. Serve those around you. Love them. The more you use a gift, the better you get at it. Amen? This simply means don't sit on it. Use it. As God's Holy Spirit empowers you to do so uniquely and genuinely. As you step out in faith, God will empower you there. That's why Paul goes on to say, God didn't give you a spirit of fear and timidity that you sit in the corner and you hold on to your gift. No, but of power, in other words, His enablement, and love, the motivation, and of a sound mind. In other words, to do it with a measure of self-discipline. To be determined in it. God's grace, His power, the will of God, and the love in you, as well as your dedication to it, God says that's how you do it. And so where is the current of the fountain that God has placed in your heart carrying you? What is it that is moving your heart? What situations around you are calling out for your attention? I know that over the past few weeks and even today, I'm asking a lot of questions. A lot of questions. I'm asking them of myself, and I believe God is asking them of us as individuals and as a spiritual family. It's good that we self-evaluate from time to time. Let me close by saying this. God gives us gifts for the purpose of blessing others. Your gifts are not just for you. 
Your gifts are not just to gratify you. Yes, the gift God gives you will create influence for you. It's intended to do that. It will attract people to you. It's intended to do that. But the purpose is not just for your gratification. God blesses us with gifts so that we can be a blessing to others. Gifts are given to be given. They demonstrate the love and the power and the nature of God, and they are expressions of His character and His affection. And if there's one thing I want you to take home from everything I've shared this morning, if you, if you just take one thing away, I want you to leave this place and remember throughout this week this one thing. Your gift matters. You matter. What you carry matters. It matters to God. It matters to the kingdom of God. It matters to your family, to your workplace, to your church. It is not insignificant. You are not insignificant. God sees you. He has filled you with destiny and purpose, and that matters. And so don't sit on that which God has put within your heart. Allow your heart to rise up and to do out of the overflow of what God is doing in you. It matters. It matters to the unsaved souls that are yet to be touched, but who are predestined to be touched by the grace that you carry on your life. Don't sit on your gift. Ask God to give you opportunities to use your gift to love and to serve and to share with those around you. You are special. You are unique. Perfectly made by God for purpose. Amen? Amen. Now, part of that means that also when we come together as a spiritual family, can I ask the ushers please to distribute the communion emblems? I'd like to just say a few things before we, we take communion together. When we read in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, let me read you a verse from the book of Ephesians where Paul is talking about gifts. He's talking about graces and how they work together in, a, in, in the setting of church spiritual families, lives that have come together to nurture, enrich, and encourage one another. Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then 11 to 16 says, But to each one is given a grace. To each one grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Simply the expression of your gift. Did you get that? Ministry is not preaching. Ministry is serving others with the gift God has given you. And the role of the pastor and the evangelist and the, and the apostle and the teacher is to equip you, help you in your gift and with your gift. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Just think of this for a moment. Carried about. Here the current goes this way. There the current goes that way. Here the flow of society goes that way. Here the agenda and the ideology goes this way. There's a different flow that you and I are, caught, are called to be caught up in. He says, But speaking the truth of love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, now listen to this, folks, joined and knit together by what? By what? 
Every joint supplies. Say every joint. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Not that one loud mouth joint. But we are joined. The thing that joins us and really connects our hearts is that which every joint supplies. You see, it's very easy. When you go to a concert, a few of my friends this week went to go and see Sting. He's in the country. And Sting had a concert this week. Everybody, that, that auditorium was filled with thousands of people who came to listen to Sting sing. Not one of them were joined together with anybody else. Why? Because they came to see what man, one man supplied. Church is not like that. It's not intended to be like that. Church is joined and knit together by what? Every joint supplies. You see, I need what you have, and you need what I have, and so-and-so needs what you've got, and you, you understand the process? When I begin to minister personally, my gift to somebody else, a connection is established. And through that connection, grace flows. And that grace can go from one person back and forth to another. And it is through that flow that our hearts are joined and knit together. And it goes on to say this, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So if every part is not doing its share, is not expressing its gift, guess what? We're not being an effective church. Our coming together is not as effective as it could or should be. But when we do come together and everyone contributes, and that may not necessarily be on a Sunday morning, folks. It may be in the life of church, and as we do life together, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You see, it's not just about you, and it's not just about me. It is this glorious body, the church of Jesus Christ, that you and I are a part of. How many of you would like to see this church grow? We all would like to see this church grow, this family grow. Grow in influence, grow in number. How does that happen? Michael, you've got to preach better. That may be true. You've got to sing better. That may be true too. But the Bible doesn't say that's how it happens. The Bible says it happens as every one of us take on the responsibility of expressing and using our gifts for the betterment of others. That is how the church of God grows. Not just this local little spiritual family, but the church of God grows. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.